The Coach's Roundtable is brought to you by Between the Lines. Between the Lines offers online training with current minor league affiliates from the comfort of your own home through online technology. With their coaching, watch your skills and money increase due to no longer needing to drive to get training. For more information, go to betweenthelines.pro. What's up, everybody, and welcome to another episode of the Coaches Roundtable Podcast. I'm your host, Joel Cradle, and today I've got a guest coming back for another visit, another time to tell stories with one of my favorite storytellers I've had come on on the podcast. So make sure that you're ready to hear some stories. Get your notebooks out with your paper and your pencil or pen, whichever one you prefer to write with, because we're going to get some good information from this guy right here. Coach Milton, tell us a little bit about yourself and just how you got to where you are now. Thanks for having me on, Joel, um, and, uh, and and hello to everyone out there. Uh, yeah, uh, I'm the uh, uh, program advisor for the Okotoks Dogs, uh, which is an academy out in uh, Western Canada. Uh, we also have a collegiate team as well that plays in the Western uh, Collegiate Baseball League. And I'm also an assistant coach with Erie Community College in uh, Williamsville, New York, um, one of the top D3 uh, uh, junior college programs in, uh, in the country. And, you know, really, it's, 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 it's kind of being a legacy of, uh, you know, always trying to learn and, and trying to, to gain a step. And, uh, you know, it started in terms of my scouting background with the Toronto Blue Jays and, uh, and then kind of uh, going on from there into the, uh, into the coaching levels. Awesome. Now, with your, your resume, with your experience, you've got some wild, um, crazy, interesting, fascinating stories um, you're telling me some of them right before I hit the record button. I'm going to try to get some of those and more out of you in this podcast for other coaches to listen to because they'll absolutely love them, if not more than I loved them when you were telling me. But So let's just start off with the basic stuff. What's the craziest, wildest thing that you've witnessed firsthand on a ball field? Oh, craziest thing that I've ever seen. There's actually two. There's, there's one at the, uh, the World Juniors um, back in, I believe, it was 2001 in Thunder Bay. And uh, what a, a crazy night in Thunder Bay. It was uh, Canada-Cuba, uh, round-robin game. And, uh, you know, place was packed. Fans were going crazy. Um, great atmosphere. And I would say it was probably maybe about the fifth, sixth inning. Um, the Cuba manager comes out to talk to the pitcher. Well, so, he, he, you know, he, he gives the instructions and then he goes back and as he's and then he crosses the uh, the first baseline to go back to the dugout. So as he's doing that, he he just stops and then tries to come back again and talk to the uh, talk to the pitcher. Well, really, nobody sees it. You know, I, I start to kind of yell a little bit about it and then. Uh, everybody else, you know, everybody on the field started to pick up on it. The, elf, the uh, sorry, the umpires started to pick up on it, and uh, there was a conference. And then uh, I'll I'll give the, the 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 manager credit. You know, he started saying, "Well, you know, I I, I, I forgot to say something. You know, it was it was a translation thing." So um, he ended up getting um, getting out of that one uh, with with no penalty. But uh, there was another time I was coaching and. It was uh, we needed to uh, to go on to the to win this game to go on and, and continue in the A pool, and uh, we were down I think about eleven five, and uh, I looked out in in the outfield, and uh, I see my outfielders looking at me and waving, and I'm thinking I'm looking at my 
my chart and I'm saying no, you're positioned properly. And but they're still waving. My my left fielder's really, really waving to me. And so I finally now I'm really kind of getting out of the dugout and taking a look. What they were doing was there was uh fans behind uh the the outfield fence. They were in pickup trucks. They were throwing beer bottles at them. So at that point obviously I kind of run out and I got the the team off the field and uh, and uh, everything kind of worked out. We end up that was kind of a turning point for us. Uh, it kind of allowed us to kind of settle down a little bit, and we came back and uh, and won the game and continued in the A pool. That's wild. So, along with the crazy stories that you just told, what's the best performance you've ever witnessed firsthand on a ball field? Oh, wow. That's uh, you know, you know, I, I think in terms of of a performance. Um, it kind of goes back again in, into the days of the World Juniors and seeing, you know, guys like you know Adam Lowen, who was was one of the top pitchers in the event. But not only was he one of the top pitchers, he ended up being one of the top hitters in the event. So uh, he ended up uh, getting drafted by the Baltimore Orioles. Um, ended up uh, kind of bounced around a little bit, had some arm problems, and then transitioned uh, later in his career to an outfielder and a first baseman because he could swing it. So, you know, people talk about Otani, but really Adam Lowen, you know, years and years and years ago was, you know, he was kind of the the first one to to do something like that and had success at it. So I am curious because you do spend a lot of time coaching up north in Canada and you spend some time, you know, working in America as well, working with the youth. But I'm curious on do you notice any differences between the youth in America and Canada and their development or maybe how they're coached, how they play the game? Is there any real differences? The the gap is actually really starting to close. Um, there used to be a, a bigger gap. But, um, I mean, the gap is still there. I find um, really with the Canadian player, they're very raw. When when they come out of high school and, and get into college, um, they're raw. Uh, they, they need a year um, or maybe two to, to kind of get up to the level where they're playing at, 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 a, at a high level um, every day. Uh, you know, we don't see that so much with our, with our higher-end players because of the program that uh, uh, Greg Hamilton puts on with our Canadian uh, national junior team. Uh, but one of the things that, that, that I get told to me from other coaches is that the Canadian player comes in and they're kind of that you know blue collar they just want to work and we joke that it's kind of the the hockey mentality um but uh, things that are ironic about or you know about canadian players is a lot of them are left-handed hitters and one of the reasons is because with hockey a lot of a lot of, you know a lot of players shoot right i uh, sorry shoot left and the the other um the other interesting thing is that we've never had a Canadian shortstop, a true Canadian shortstop, play in the major leagues. We've had guys that are kind of middle guys that, you know, that go in and play, but not a true Canadian shortstop. And I think it's, it's just a matter of, you know, the, you know, whether it be in California or Texas or Florida or the Carolinas, they can take 10,000 ground balls a day. And just, you know, just the, the repetition of, of, of where in Canada, we're kind of limited with, you know, our weather and our, uh, you know, our facilities. So I think that's one of the reasons why we generally produce uh, hitters and we produce, uh, you know, pitchers.
one of the most uh, popular Canadian baseball players right now is Joey Votto. Have you ever had any experience working with Joey Votto or any Joey Votto stories? Uh, you know, first of all, Joey's an outstanding individual, and he, he does a lot for, uh, for Canadian baseball um, and a lot for his hometown uh, in, in Etobicoke. Um, outstanding individual. But uh, where, uh, when my son was playing, and he was, I think he was about 11 or 12 at the time, and uh, the indoor facility that he hit at, we were doing flips. And uh, so he was hitting, and all of a sudden, you know, we, we, we have to pick up the balls. And he, he comes over and he says, he goes, he goes, Dad, Dad, that's Joey Votto over there in the next cage. And I said, yeah. And, and I had known Joey. And uh, so, you know, I certainly didn't want to bother him. He was in the minor leagues at that point. And, uh, but we started watching Joey take, you know, um, his, his rounds of, uh, of, of hitting in the cage. And one of the, the unique things that he did was he would move the tee put the tee on the outer third, and keep moving it back. And what he was trying to do was he was trying to, to see how far that ball could travel and still keep it fair on the outer third. I thought that was, you know, it was a very interesting drill. And you see, you know, obviously you see the way that he hits. Um, he started to become a little bit more of, of a power guy now, but he was always a guy that could use all parts of the field. Um, but the other thing, too, is just in, inside that, that special sound. And that's one thing I think that, that, that you know, with, with great hitters, when you're indoors or even outdoors, it's that special sound of the ball coming off the bat. You know, you, you either have that or you don't. And that's what I think is, is, a, is a mark of a true hitter. You know, you had some experience working with the Blue Jays uh, up in Toronto. What was that experience like? And then kind of how did you find yourself in that position in the first place? Yeah, it was, uh, you know, it was, <laughs> it was an outstanding experience. Got to meet a lot of great people. Got, a lot, got to work for a lot of great people, um, including Alex Anthopoulos, who, you know, obviously was, is the uh, general manager, present general manager of the uh, Atlanta Braves. Um, but, uh, yeah, it was, uh, you know, I just uh, kind of finished playing and, and got into coaching a little bit. And uh, a friend of mine, Kevin Briand uh, was uh, working with the Blue Jays at the time in, in a scouting capacity and uh, kind of had this idea of, okay, well, we need extra scouts, and, but we also need to start to try to cultivate the, the game in Canada. So one of the things that, that we did was we, we called it our traveling roadshow, and what we would do on weekends is go to uh, local communities and put on a baseball clinic. And what would happen is, you know, the, the players would register, and whatever they registered, that fee would, would go all back to the local association. So they could use it to buy equipment or, you know, keep costs down or whatever that they needed the, the money for. So, um, and, and out of that, actually, out of those clinics, you know, there's kids that we know that, that went on to play in, in, in pro ball. Um, so... Uh, we're very proud of that. I mean, we used to have, I would say, between you know, four and six thousand kids a year that would come through our clinics, and I, I, you know, last I checked, you know, we were probably over, over, well over a million dollars uh, raised going back to local communities all across Canada, and uh, and then also on the, you know, on the scouting you know uh, beat, it, you know, allowed us to have more presence out there and uh, and get to games and. 
and see the the players and and uh, you know allowed us to you know get to a point where we draft where we drafted players you know like Dalton Pompey who uh, who came out of uh, Mississauga and and played with the Blue Jays for a while and um, as I said it's uh, you know the, the Blue Jay organization is a first class organization uh, starting you know when 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 Pat Gillick was there uh, continued on and Gordy Ash and um, and then JP Ricciardi and as I said I worked worked for JP I worked for uh, for Alex worked for Gord um, all great baseball people um, great baseball minds and uh, it's nice seeing somebody like Alex who uh, ironic story Alex used to sign my uh, expense reports and uh, you know now look at him now he's a he's a World Series champion and he's uh, he's you know president and GM So working with the Blue Jays, I'm sure you were uh, experienced with a lot of good stories. You witnessed some good stories. You witnessed some good players. Do you have any good stories you can share with us about your time with the Blue Jays, whether it be players you watched or uh, just funny stories? Yeah, absolutely. There, there. You know, uh, one of the things I used to like to do with the Blue Jays, and and I was very fortunate to do it, um, was to go down and see batting practice, and. You know, batting practice was, uh, you know, you, you really saw the true player and what he was, you know, really, you know, because in a game they're they're very tight, they're you know it's all business like, um, but you saw guys trying things, and uh, I still remember every day we had a center fielder by the name of Vernon Wells, and Vernon Wells would take ground balls at shortstop, and all of our shortstops are not going to like what I got to say. But I truly believe that Vernon Wells was our best shortstop on the team. Now, saying that, he was also a Gold Glove outfielder, but it just showed that he was uh, he was a true athlete. And and going back to those those camp days, um, we used to run them in the winter, and uh, we had a, a one opportunity where we brought Vernon up uh, in the winter, and uh, he came and. Uh, Myself and Vernon and um, Travis Snyder and Jesse Litch, we played uh, basketball. I'll tell you, he was Vernon was a great basketball player too. Just a true athlete uh, all around and, and and a great guy. Now, before the podcast recording, you were telling me a story about Steve Nash. Can you share that one with us? Absolutely. Uh, Walt Burroughs, who is the the Canadian scout for the Minnesota Twins, and used to be the um, uh, director of scouting for the uh, Major League Baseball uh, Scouting Bureau for Canada. Uh, he's to this day, he talks about Steve Nash being such an outstanding baseball talent, and not to mention that Steve was a, a great soccer player as well. And we also, you know, we all know what he what he did on the uh, on the court uh, in basketball. But Steve was just, you know, such an athlete. You know, he had he was he was fast. He was, you know, a plus runner. He uh, he really he could he could vision the game so um, you know he, he was you know he was great getting the balls um, just a well-rounded player and you know one of the things that, that we don't even talk about is was his arm strength um, that was one of the things that, that really stuck out so you know he was a he was a great player and really could have you know played baseball he could have played uh, uh, soccer or you know obviously he went on to, to, to play basketball. 
Now, it's funny that you, you talk about Steve Nash like that, about how great of an athlete he was. He was a phenomenal soccer player. He was a Hall of Fame basketball player. And you talk about how he was also a really good baseball player. Um, it kind of wants me to go down this path right here. Um, and it's, are the athletes in today's world, how much of it is they're developed versus they're just naturally good athletes? For instance, Mike Trout in high school, his high school used to do a home run derby for seniors. And because Mike Trout was a going to be a first-round pick in the MLB draft uh, as a high schooler, clearly his teammates didn't find it very equal, fair, whatever you want to call it, competing against him in a home run derby. So they said, you can only compete in one way. Um, you have to hit left-handed. Well, long and behold, Mike Trout wins the home run derby in high school hitting left-handed, even though he had never hit left-handed before. So how much do you think that these – athletes today that compete at the highest level, how much of it is they were just developed really well versus they're just really good athletes to begin with? I think that's really, you know, what you're, what you're talking about there is, is that innate athletic ability. And that is something that you, I, I don't care whoever is coaching them, you either have it or you don't. And really that's what separates um, the, the, the good player, I think, from the great player. And uh, they just have that innate ability to get it done however way, and uh, they use their athletic abilities. Uh, I, I, I see that, I, I think we have a problem in today's game where we, we want players to be too much like robots. We want them to hit one way. We want them to pitch one way. Well, there's no one way of doing it, but at the, at the end of the day, we don't talk enough about Let's make, in, let's make them a great athlete. So, again, I, you know, I talk always about allowing kids to play different sports. I think allowing them to play different sports allows them to get that athletic ability. And some of the, the sports, like players would come to me in high school and say, well, I want to play another sport. What can I play? And I used to recommend, of all things, badminton. Um, I used to like basketball, you know, tell them to go to basketball. But basketball... I found they kept, you know, when they'd go to catch the ball, the ball would kind of jam their fingers sometimes. So, but with badminton, it's a lot of stop-starts, it's hand-eye, it's quick movements, and really that's where we are in our game. It is very, you know, quick, fast, We're not, it's not endurance, um, and, it's all, and it's a lot of hand-eye. So, you know, I, I think we need to get back to, to getting those athletes, and I think if we can get back to having those athletes, that's going to contribute to, you know, better players I really do like that point but I'm going to play devil's advocate with you here coach Milton um, and I'm not disagreeing with playing multi-sport athletes you can look at a lot of the athletes today in today's game a lot of them have played multiple uh, athletics like you could look at you know the Chiefs game the other night Patrick Mahomes you know through 90 plus in high school was you know a phenomenal football player and was also an all-state basketball player as a Cardinals fan Scott Rowland's one that sticks in my head is he also had a I mean he had all should have had or did have, depending on your opinion, a Hall of Fame baseball career, but also had the opportunity to play basketball at Notre Dame coming out of high school. But I'm curious, you look at some other places outside of America, simply like the Dominican Republic, where those kids play baseball 24-7, 365. Is being a multi-sport athlete super important, or is it um, we can, it, it's not a bad thing to individualize your sport growing up? No, I, I, and, and I think if we look at the Latin player, the, one of the things that, that I give, you know, if you look at the Latin player, think about how they develop, okay? A lot of times it's 
you know, playing stickball in the street. It's playing pickup games. It's not structured. And I think we need to get, you know, we need to get to that. I always, you know, when, I, when I do my, um, when I speak at coaching conferences, I, I always like to talk about we need to get back for kids to understand what a ghost runner is and, what, and, and playing where the tree is first base and just a non-structured game where, where they actually get to think for themselves. So, you know, yeah, it's, I, I'm, I'm not against that. I think, I think our problem is, is that we try to structure everything. We need to really just kind of throw the bats and throw the balls out in the field, and the coaches need to go sit in the stands or even, you know, I, I, again, I always make a joke. I, the guy that I always wanted to play for was Buttermaker off of Bad News Bears because he would just sit in the dugout, have his beer, and just let the, the players play. And, you know, I think that's really what we need to do. We need to get back to is just letting the kids play. I love that answer. Speaking of the, uh, we're speaking of the newer approach of baseball. What are your thoughts on analytics, and do you think that they're hurting or helping the game as it is right now? Ooh, that's a loaded question. That's 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 one that, that I've had a, a lot of nights in hotel rooms talking about. And I mean, I'll I'll preface it by saying I'm an old school type guy, um, but I think there's a a place for analytics in the game, um, but it certainly is not a, a something that would really, you know, sway my decision. Uh, you know, uh, I, I think at the end of the day, a manager has to make those decisions um, with two things, his eyes and his gut. And his eyes can see what is happening. He, it's, it's in real time. And sometimes you have to, you know, we forget about the flow of the game. And, and how it's progressing as opposed to, you know, analytics where it's very static. Um, but, you know, saying that, I mean, I think in, 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 some, in some ways uh, we can use it as a good teaching tool for kids um, and, and for players in, in general. Um, it can show growth um, and it can show weakness as well. So I think it has a role in the game. I just don't like how it's starting to, every decision is predicated on, you know, that number. Because, again, a guy could be, you know, four for four, but all of a sudden now you bring in, you know, you're a left-handed hitter, and you bring in a pitcher, and he's hit 033 off this guy. The guy's four for four today. I think he's, I think he's seen the ball well. So I think that's when you got to just let him go. And the other one is is just on the pitching side. I I just I I see pitchers. You know, I, I'd like to get our, our see our pitchers go a little longer in the game, and be able to throw multiple innings and and learn how to throw and compete. Because right now, I think we've got a real generation of uh, I call them showcase pitchers, where they get on the mound and they throw it as hard as they can, and they don't care where it goes. There's no real pitchability. And I'd like to get back to that, you know, where, where, where players are starting to learn how to pitch as opposed to just throw. You know, I was watching a movie recently, re-watching a movie recently, the movie Miracle. And one of the parts that stuck out to me, and it kind of reminded me of analytics, is that Coach Brooks, during the tryouts, he, he, you know, he's picking his team. And one of the most important aspects of picking a team, and particularly in hockey, is your goalie. And in the movie, if you rewatch it, he has his own goalie at his own university where he coaches who just won a national title. 
And he doesn't choose to have this guy on his team or at least be a starting goalie. He chooses a guy from a rival school who even his assistant coach at the time says, why would you want this guy? And Herb Brooks says, because I'm not trying to win a national title. I'm trying to win the Olympics, indicating that he knows that if he coaches this guy, he can get the most out of him and that this guy's game could be what it takes for them to win the national or not the national championship, the Olympics. And there's no analytics that could approve that. It's Herb Brooks with his eyes and his gut, just like you talked about. So moving on to another aspect, I want to kind of go back to you in the professional game a little bit. Um, did you ever have any experience at a minor league spring training uh, at all? And then if so, what was that experience like? Yeah, I was actually at spring training. And, and just before we actually go on to that, just just one, one quick thing. We're, you're talking about the movie Miracle. Uh, a good friend of mine and a former uh, Blue Jay scout, Sean McCann, actually was the GM in the movie The Miracle. Um, he played he played the, the uh, general manager in that movie and uh, had a lot of great stories about Kurt Russell and uh, and, and the whole making of the movie. But uh, but in, in terms of uh, spring training, it's it was phenomenal. I was I didn't I didn't get to go with uh, you know the major league club. Um, I was with uh, the minor league uh, at the minor league side, and you know it was just it was eye opening. Um, you know how how diligent they work. Um, you know what kind of goes into you know every day. I still remember our our meetings every morning, and kind of going over the day and talking about certain players and what we expected out of them. Um, but it, it was it was you know. It was the routine things that they they spent not 20 minutes on in a practice. It was an hour or two. So you know things like PFPs or first and third defenses or just just turning double plays. Or I remember working with um, with the catchers, and we work on you know pop up drills and it, or blocking drills. It, it, it was never just a, a quick 20 minute. As, as most you know, youth coaches uh, have, um, it was you know it was a longer period, and you really got to see the development of the player after that. And uh, I still remember we were we were playing the uh, playing the Phillies one day at our complex, and uh, so we're playing them, and uh, all of a sudden, uh, Aaron Hill, who was uh, who had just uh, we had just drafted in the first round. Uh, the year before was there, and he hits a shot, and I still think it's probably still traveling. And uh, the next inning, uh, our pitcher goes out, and he gives up one of those shots. So our, you know, our manager, he's, he's not upset. It's just it's spring training, and uh, next the next pitch goes like I'd say 30, 40 feet up the backstop, up the screen. Our manager goes out, calls time. And he's just giving it to him, you know. Basically, yeah, you gave up a home run, but you got to forget about it. Let's get this guy. Don't let your, you know. There's there's different ways of funneling your um, your 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 anger and and, uh, and 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 how we how we deal with with failure. Um, but uh, yeah, that that one there. He, I mean, it it he allowed him to, to finish out the inning. But even when he when the pitcher came back to the dugout. Uh, you know, Kenny gave it to him pretty good, and and you know, just you cannot act, act like that on the mound. It's fascinating. So, in your 
very large experience in your resume. You've been a part of a lot of organizations, a lot of programs, a lot of coaches, a lot of teams. What in particular team culture stuck out to you? And then what made that culture so fascinating, so great to be around and be in? It's funny, you know, I was just talking to someone about this the other day. Um, I had the opportunity to coach a, a team from the Czech Republic. And, uh, you know, I really didn't know what I was getting into, quite honestly. And uh, I will say it was probably one of the best coaching experiences of my life. It, those, those players were, were so together and so hungry to win and really didn't, again, we go back to being raw. They really didn't understand. Like, there would be times where they would fail and they, would, they wouldn't even understand they failed. They just okay, let's go, let's get back at it again, and and it was that that whole kind of togetherness. Um, they would you know everything they would eat together, they would you know everything they did they did together. Um, I I remember uh, they had never seen a, a a live World Series game on TV, and so uh, the last night I said, okay guys, let's go. We're gonna go watch a game on TV, and, and you guys are gonna you guys are gonna see it. And we went to this uh, little sports bar by the uh, by the hotel, and just to see their eyes watching the game live on TV, and they were full of questions. Um, and, and I think you know, going forward, um, that's gonna be the you know one of the next hot spots I think for for major league talent coming out is is a Czech Republic they've got a lot of good players a lot of strong athletic players so um, but as I said from a culture they would they would they would run through a wall and they would all run through a wall together and they weren't afraid to try things and I think you know that's what allowed them to have success you know along with you know being a part of a lot of teams you've been a part of a lot of coaches what is the best coach that you've been around? And then what separated that coach from all the other coaches? What made them great? Actually, you know, one of the, one of the guys that I learned so, well, a couple of guys I learned a lot from. Um, one would be uh, uh, Brian Butterfield. Um, you know, just seeing Brian on the field and, and talking to him, um, you know, he taught me a lot about uh, infield defense, you know, some different drills to work with guys, some things to look for, and that which really helped me in the scouting role, um, kind of differentiate, especially at, at the collegiate level, uh, some players, and, and how to project them. Uh, and then the other thing is, he talked to me about coaching third base, and, and we had an interesting discussion one day, it was, it was during batting practice, actually. And, uh, you know, I, I said to Brian, I said, you know, I find sometimes when I'm coaching third base, you know, the, the game sometimes gets fast. And I said, you know, I, I said, I said, I, I know you probably don't feel that way, but you know, that's, that's how I feel. And he said, no, no, no. He goes, I feel that even at the, at the big league level, the game gets too fast. He says, but what I do is on a, on a play like that, I try to get deeper. So, so he tries to get further away from the foul line. And I, I said, well, what does that do? And he said, what it allows you to do is, is have a broader perspective of the play. So you can see now if it's going to be a play where, you know, maybe the runner's going first or third. You can see, you know, the cut or even a play going home. Um, you know, you can see how the, how the outfielders picked up the ball. 
Um, it just gives you, it, it kind of slows the game down a little bit for you. So I thought that was a, that was a, a unique um, part of it. Um, and Cito, Cito Gaston was another one, you know. Cito always loved picking his brain, um, loved that. And then there was a hitting coach that, you know, we talked about minor league spring training, Merv Redeman. And Merv was our minor league hitting coordinator. And Merv just kind of took me under his wing. And I remember we were working with Alexis Rios one day, and he kind of gave me that task. He says, you know, you're going to work with Lexi today. And um, so I was working with him, and I was getting frustrated because he didn't seem like he was kind of into it. And, and he, you know, I was trying to give him all these verbal cues like, like every other coach tries to, tries to do. And Murph finally came over and said, you know what, give him the drill and walk away. So I, would, I did that, and all of a sudden Lexi was bang, 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 bang. And he was one of these guys that just needed you know, to be left alone. And I think that's one thing that we do as coaches. We, we overcoach at times with, uh, with, with our players. Fascinating story, and it kind of leads me into my next question I want to ask you, and it's how do you coach differently as you've gotten more experience in the game? Well, I will say... I'm, I'm definitely a lot mellower. Um, you know, I, I, I used to, you know, every, you know, I used to, you know, get anxious about every ground ball, every fly ball, every pitch. Um, I kind of look more in a broader perspective now. Um, and I, and I really focus on the teaching aspect and in those, t- what I call teachable moments. And one of the things that I like to do is I have a notepad. So think of, uh, they used to call me the cop. Because think of a, a cop has his you know ticket book, and I have a notepad and I'm jotting things down through the game. And one of the reasons why I do that is it could maybe it's not a, a, a an item that I want to bring up to the player right away. I don't want to address it right away. It could be something the next day at batting practice that I'm going to address in a in a kind of relaxed atmosphere. Um, but I think it's it's just you know kind of that information because really when I found when I was first into coaching I, I had so many things in my mind I forgot about some things and having that notepad allowed me to remember it and go back after the game and say oh yeah I got to remember to talk to you know so-and-so about that that certain place so and I, I think even now today um, you know it, it's more working on the development of the player and not so much the win we all, obviously we all want to win, but it's how are we developing that player? How are we going to get them to that next level, whatever that next level is going to be? And now, now you'd spend some time coaching at the collegiate level. How has that changed for you, especially with COVID-19 going on and the recruiting it has got to have gotten much tougher um, now that you have, you know, fifth-year seniors, possibly sixth-year seniors, um, the recruiting aspect, maybe it's harder to go to games now. How has the recruiting aspect of being a collegiate coach where you're at changed because of the pandemic? Well, one thing is just, on, especially on the recruiting side, is is just how you recruit. And, I mean, you would never, I mean, you, you, you didn't put a lot of stock in video. I mean, think about the old days. It was always you send a letter. And now it's you send a video. And it's, it's you know, going on Twitter and and. And, you know, you see a swing and obviously you're not going to make your whole determination off of, you know, one video on Twitter. But I always say, you know, that could be like your cover letter for, you know, when you're going for a a job. 
you know, you're sending your resume, you got your cover letter, um, that could be your cover letter. And that's going to get your foot in the door to, to get an interview. So your interview could be getting a visit and having a visit. So um, it's, it's really changed that way, the, the dynamics of, you know, you brought up about, you know, the extra years, trying to balance your roster. Um, the other thing that, that I, I get really frustrated with um, players and, and, and parents, and, and the other thing, too, is, is you know, there's, there's too many of, of these, uh, what they call, they call them, some of them call themselves agents now. Um, and, and, you know, they're trying to get kids scholarships into schools. And I think at the end of the day, you need to look at what's the best fit doesn't matter whether it's a, a four-year D1, D2, D, D, D3, NAIA, or JUCO at all the levels. It's whatever is the best fit for you. And, and I, I always uh, put fit down to three things. There's a financial component. You know, can you afford it? Um, and, and is there any scholarship money available? Um, it comes down to the academic side. Do they offer the program? Is it a good, you know, a good fit for you academically? Um, and then obviously there's the athletic side and, you know, you, you look at, uh, you know, the coach, the legacy of the program, you know, if you're at a, at a, a junior college, do they, do they send kids to, to four year schools? Um, you know, you can look at facilities, uh, campus, you know, all that type, type of thing. Um, I just find that a lot of players now it's, they have that D one or bust or, you know, it's got to be a school that they see playing football on uh, on Saturday afternoon, or they or they watch playing. You know, in the in the final four in basketball. You know, there's some great schools out there that are not named schools um, that put on great baseball programs. And really, it doesn't matter where you go; it's got to be that perfect fit for you. Great stuff as always, Coach Milton. And I'll wrap up the podcast with this question right here, and I asked it to you. Uh, prior to the podcast recording, because I wanted to get a good answer from you. And it's, if you could have dinner, who would you want to have that dinner with? And what are the kind of questions you'd want to ask them to learn from? Well, it's it's certainly, a, you know, again, I go back to my Blue Jay roots, and it's Cito Gaston. Um, Cito, by far, he was, when he came in um, after Jim, Jimmy Williams was fired, um, he didn't even want the manager's role. He just wanted to be a hitting coach. And uh, Mr. Beeston and, and Mr. Gillick uh, convinced him to, to take on the manager's role. Um, he went on to, you know, win the division that year, uh, went on to win, uh, you know, World Series in 92 uh, and 93. But one of the unique things about Cito was his relationship with the players. And, you know, you see nowadays with when you get a, a bunch of superstars in a room, it's not always easy to, to lead and manage and have them, you know, fight for you because they all have their all own individual um, kind of things that they look out for. He was outstanding in, in bringing people together. And, again, they would run through a wall for him. So I would love just to have dinner with him and just pick his mind on, okay, how did you do that? Like, how, how do you... How do you balance the, I have to be firm enough, I have to put my expectations down, and, and when guys cross the line, I need to be able to, to have those certain penalties. Um, but how do I get them on my side, too, and, and buy into that, that winning culture? 
So that's that's kind of uh, you know, and also too, he's just a salt of the earth uh, gentleman, and he used to room with Hank Aaron. So I would love to hear um, some of his Hank Aaron stories.